by uh, finding out a little bit about you and how you found your way to the commissionership of the DNR. Yeah, well, it's um, it's it's a job I've had for uh, for a couple of years now, and and one really that that has just been uh, the honor of a lifetime to have. Um, I am the first woman to hold this position, so that's uh, that's been an exciting piece of it. Um, I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in St. Paul. Uh, we spent uh, a week every summer at a resort in northern Minnesota, so certainly got. Uh, my share of, of the outdoors and, and my parents were teachers, so they had time in the summer. We, we did a lot of state parks, uh, near St. Paul and that kind of thing. And, um, and then when I went to school, I, I studied, uh, biology and environmental management. Uh, that really was, was where my interest, uh, fell. And so, uh, you know, both kind of by, by interest and by academic background, um, have been involved in, in the environment and natural resources. I have, I have worked uh, in a variety of spaces um, from nonprofit to uh, local government and, and to state government. I worked for the Board of Water and Soil Resources before coming to DNR. Um, in the last administration, I, I served as an assistant commissioner for four years before taking on this position. So kind of kind of bring that, that breadth of experience. Um, I've also worked in environmental education, environmental policy, um, land conservation. I've, I've done research. So Kind of, kind of a broad um, base, both both in sector and uh, in work. Uh, so, coming to this place, you know, I, I feel like I still get to do a little bit of all of those things. It's really interesting that you bring up uh, growing up and, and camping and, and doing the outdoor things. I mean, when I talk to other people, whether it's in fisheries or wildlife or non-game or where, whatever aspect it is, when I talk to people who work in uh, natural resources, whether it be federal or state, that's a common theme. They grew up in the outdoors. They experienced the outdoors, and there is an unwavering passion for for the outdoors for people who are involved. Yeah, I think I think that's very true. It it is a common thread, and I I think one of the things for the future is is to remember, right? Particularly as as the demographics of our state change, and and maybe don't exactly um, match the demographics of people now participating in in some of our DNR activities. You know, we want to make sure that all Minnesotans have those connections to the outdoors because it is that personal experience that tends to to help people uh, care about things. You go anywhere in the nation, there are people who love the outdoors, but the state of Minnesota, it is just, uh, it's a part of our fabric, really. It's a, it's a huge part of our identity. When people outside of the state and outside of the nation think of Minnesota, they think about 10,000 lakes, they think about forests, they think about those things that we take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so true. And I, I think part of it is um, because we, we have such a diversity, um, you know, of, of opportunities and experiences from the prairies to the forests to the lakes. Um, we have uh, such high quality experiences from our wildlife areas to our state parks to, you know, even our local park systems, really robust in Minnesota, um, you know, our, our, again, our, our fishing, um, quality fishing for a whole variety of species. I mean, of course, we have the, the walleye opener coming up. And so, you know, people are, people have that on the brain. But, you know, we have, we have panfish, we have sturgeon. I've been seeing fabulous pictures of sturgeon this spring. Um, musky, you know, bass, uh, the bass fishery really is, is outstanding here. Minnesota is starting to be on the map. So, 
you know, there's, there's all of, of those pieces that I think really are the envy of other places around the country. And what I hear from my colleagues, um, you know, who do this work professionally, too, is, is the strong tradition of funding that we've had in Minnesota, too, and the opportunities that we have through, um, you know, our lottery sales and our uh, legacy funds, as, as well as, you know, the more traditional sources. So that, that's an important piece of what makes Minnesota special, too. As I've done this show for way too long, and every time I think about it, it makes me feel old. Um, you know, I've dealt primarily with fisheries people, um, wildlife people, but many times I've had the opportunity to talk with uh, non-game wildlife people and in different aspects. But th- there's there's just so much to the term natural resources that most of us don't even consider. So, if you can. Describe to us everything it entails uh, when we're talking about the Department of Natural Resources. Yeah, well, I think I, I think it's true. I think a lot of people don't realize that the scope of our Nat- Department of Natural Resources really is as broad as it is. Um, if you only you know touch one part of it, but um, we we do have kind of that uh, traditional fishing game, and and the people that that you've described, um, you typically. Uh, have talked to the the folks who manage our our fish and wildlife populations and um, as well as the fishing and hunting uh, opportunities that we have here in Minnesota. Um, We we have our ecological and water resources division. So um, that's a place uh, where our non-game program sits and and the team that manages many of our uh, rare resources and um, special biological spaces. Um, we have our aquatic invasive species program there. We have our wa- folks who manage our waters, um, uh, particularly water uh, quantity and appropriations in Minnesota. We have our foresters uh, that manage our state forests. We have our state parks and trails uh, division that manages uh, those outdoor recreation opportunities. We, we have our law enforcement division, our conservation officers. Um, so there really is, you know, a diversity uh, to, to the work that we do because there there is such a diversity of, of natural resources here in Minnesota, again, from, you know, the, the prairies uh, to the forests and, and, of course, the lakes here, just outstanding uh, opportunities to, to make sure that Minnesotans can, can use those in a way that supports the quality of life, but also make sure that we're sustaining the resources over time. One of the things that, uh, that happened last year... I'm sure it's you maybe you maybe missed it you were busy but there was this pandemic that happened I don't know if you were aware of that uh, I, 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 I it yeah <laughs> I think I saw that I... <laughs> it it changed everything last year and and if you're looking for silver linings uh, I it, we we know that a lot more people involved themselves in the outdoors we had more kids fishing we had more adults fishing we had uh, vast increase in hunting and fishing license sales we had people hitting the parks and doing recreation much more often um what is the vibe or what have you been able to see that is helping you determine whether that's going to continue on as we slowly get back to what we consider normal yeah, you know, I find it so fascinating because when I started this job in 2019, one of my top initiatives, one of my top priorities was to really focus on connecting people to the outdoors. And so I spent a lot of time in that first year talking about, um, again, that, that personal experience that fosters people caring um, for our environment and our resources, talking about the health benefits that come with spending uh, time outside. And 
you know, now I sit back and I look over the last year and, and who would have known when I started this job just how important those themes, right, of connecting people to the outdoors and, and the health benefits and caring for the outdoors would, would really become the center um, of, of our lives uh, in Minnesota over the past year. And so now we see this time where just like instinctively, you know, Minnesotans went outside um, and partially because it, it was something that was uh, safe to do during the pandemic. You could, you could get that fresh air and space out, but, but also because that feeling that getting outside and getting in nature and breathing uh, fresh air and, and getting some physical activity and just hearing the sounds and seeing the sights of nature really does. Uh, reduce stress and anxiety <laughs> in people. And, and I think those of us who spend time outdoors know that, right? We, we feel that. And so across this, this last year, Minnesotans have been feeling that. They, they get outside and it's a way for them to deal with the stress and anxiety of the pandemic. And it's a way for them to get some exercise and feel healthier and, and be healthier. And so, you know, I think going forward, um, you know, there's a couple things. One is, is I hope that people will now that that feeling, that good feeling we get from being outside, is, is fresh in their mind. And I, I think you know we'll continue to see people get outside. We're we're expecting. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of people bought their fishing licenses early this year, so our sales were up. Um, now they're about on par with with uh, where they were last year. But a lot of people buying them early, I think, because people wanted to get out early and enjoy some of the nice weather. And and so. Well, our park reservations, you know, we're still seeing um, people making those reservations for the summer, still seeing people out uh, using parks during during the day, and uh, same with our wildlife areas. So I, I think, you know, we will see that continue. Um, I think for our part, we want to make sure that we can continue to provide the quality of experiences um, that Minnesotans have, have grown accustomed to. And so we want to make sure that, that as a state, we're continuing to invest in those resources so that we can keep up with the maintenance, so that we can offer the kinds of opportunities that are relevant uh, to people who are using them. And, and we want to make sure um, that we're stewarding the resources, too, so we're not um, you know, having undue wear and tear on those resources as people enjoy them. I am uh, pretty excited about the opportunity for people who maybe experience parks for the first time going back this year, when at, at some point I think we're going to be able to do some of the programs they didn't get to do last year. And I, that, I think, might be a, an additional thing that people will say, wow, I've lived here, tw- you know, 10, 15 years. I didn't know they did this stuff here. Exactly. Uh, so last year we did have to have to suspend a lot of our programming, particularly the interpretive programming in the parks. Our, our I Can series, which is a wonderful skill building program for people who maybe don't feel like they're ready to go out and try um, fishing or camping or some other outdoor activity on their own, and so they can um, take one of these I Can classes and, and experience it as a group and get some tips before they go out and do it on their own. Uh, those are coming back this year, and those have been really popular. Um, the other thing that's been really cool is because we weren't able to do some of those in-person opportunities, our uh, DNR staff developed a number of online uh, webinar and how-tos related to paddling or fishing, different kinds of fishing, uh, different turkey hunting, you know, different kinds of outdoor activities. And so those have become really popular, too. And I think it's something that, you know, we'll be able to continue to offer people so that for people who want that in-person experience and kind of that hands-on, they'll have that. For people that um, maybe don't have time to to get in their car and drive uh, to an in-person program but can log on uh, over lunch uh, to a program, you know, they'll have that opportunity as well. So that's, I think, one of the good things that's 
that's come out of this experience over the last year is, is the opportunity to develop some new, some new tools and some new ways to reach people. This time of year, we're 99.9% fishing. Today is that 0.1%. We have the commissioner of the DNR, Sarah Stroman, joining us. We're just getting started. A ton more topics to cover. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Special show today, a very in-depth conversation with the commissioner of the DNR, Sarah Stroman. And Commissioner, one of the, the stats, you know, that uh, that was provided to me, and, and I, I didn't know the exact number, but I knew it was huge. Uh, fishing and hunting providing 48,000 jobs and $3.8 billion in economic activity. To me, one of the challenges for the people in fisheries and wildlife, and, and really for the DNR as a whole, is when, when something is that key to the economy of a state or an area, um, it's tough to find that sweet spot where you where you're working on the long term good and still you know there's there's a, there's um, shareholders who need immediate benefit too. Uh, patience and listening skills is a real big virtue in this business. That is absolutely true. Um, yes. And, you know, uh, I, as I mentioned, I served in local government. I was a city council member and mayor. So uh, fortunately, I learned those skills about patience and listening. And, you know, really, um, I, to me, that's one of the benefits of this job. Uh, the passion in Minnesota for the outdoors is, is just unmatched. And uh, I like to say sometimes that passion manifests uh, as excitement, sometimes as frustration, um, but but the passion is there nonetheless, and and of course we do have diverse opinions and perspectives about the outdoors. Um, but for me, you know, it, you could view it as a challenge, but I really view it as an opportunity to take that passion and to take those diverse perspectives and make sure that we're really having a robust uh, conversation about our natural resources and really um, through that able to seek the best outcomes for Minnesota. And so you know that's that's an incredible opportunity and um you know I, I feel lucky that that's part of my charge here is is to find those best outcomes uh for minnesota one of the uh things that has always impressed me ever since it became available was the critical habitat license plate sales seen up in where i live of course they're everywhere um, they may be the majority i'm not sure but there there's a there's a lot of uh, great things there that adds money of course to natural resources but apparently, um, there's there's a bit of there's a bit of a challenge with that. Can you explain that to us? I can. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story, and, and you're absolutely right. The popularity of those plates, particularly as uh, we've developed more options for them, and you know, people can kind of pick their favorite their favorite critter um, or image on on the plate. Uh, we've started selling a lot more of them, and when the when the program was first uh, started. It was set up to be uh, a match incentive. So uh, every dollar of license plate sales that we brought in needs to be matched by a, a, an additional private donation for us to be able to spend it on critical habitat. And so what we've seen over time is the popularity of the plates has gone up. We're selling more plates. We're getting more of those license plate dollars. But those additional private donations are not increasing at the same rate. And so you know, money's going into the fund, and we can't get it out of the fund as quickly as it's going in because we don't have that, that same amount of, of additional private match. 
So um, one of the things that we are proposing uh, and was in the governor's budget this legislative session is to change that match requirement, that one-to-one match requirement, such that for every dollar of that additional private donation, we can free up $2 of the license plate dollars so that we can spend them, you know, and get them into critical habitat on the ground uh, rather than sitting in the bank. And so I think um, it's, a, it's a really positive kind of modernization to the program to make sure that, that we are spending those dollars on critical habitat. There, there's also some pieces to clarify, um, you know, what it means to, to improve habitat, so the restoration and the enhancement and the adaptive monitoring that we, uh, that we do to, to make sure that we're managing appropriately. So um, those, if we're able to do that, that'll result in an increase of investment of approximately seven million dollars annually over the next four years um, as we as we spend down some of those dollars. So that's going to be a significant bump to, to critical habitat work. So let me first say, as as a, as one who is looking at this, you know, from afar. That seems totally unfair. <laughs> People buy the license, they think it's going to critical habitat, and, you know, they spend extra money for that license. Um, how did the matching thing come to be? Well, as I said, in the, in the beginning, it was set up to, to be an incentive um, okay. for private donations. And so, you know, a big source of that is the um, what, what we sometimes know as the, the chickadee checkoff or the loon checkoff mm-hmm. on your tax form. Um, and so that that is, for the non-game program, a significant source of, of match. Um, sometimes land donations as well um, serve as that match. I think one of the things that has happened now, too, since the, the coming in of the legacy amendment is sometimes now when land is um, bought through that program and there's donation, then it's not being done through the critical habitat. It's, you know, still being accomplished, but it's, it's under a different program, so it's not counting here. You know, that, that could be part of the issue. But I think to your point, too, right, people are already paying that contribution on the license plate, and so they aren't likely to make that additional um, private match. And so as, as the amount increases, we're just not able to, to increase that, that other private match as quickly. And so I think this really does, um, you know, help kind of honor the, the intent of the license plate and make sure that, that those dollars are spent and, and again, I, I think it made sense at the time. Um, the match ratio made sense at the time the program was started. It, it doesn't work under the current model, so we need to adjust it a little bit to, to match the kinds of sales uh, that we're getting now. Now, there, there's different, as you mentioned, different uh, um, license plates you can get. Uh, there's a new pollinator one. There's there's various other ones. The, does the money go specifically to the programs each license plate represents, or does it go to, into a one large pot, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it goes into the, the Critical Habitat License Plate Fund. And so, you know, the reality is um, a lot of our, our critical habitat supports more than one species, right? So uh, if you have deer habitat, that also um, can support a variety of non-game species and pollinators. And so um, it's, it's more efficient to manage it in that, that pool and get multiple benefits in critical habitat across the landscape. I, I know there, um, actually the, the House of Representatives has a proposal to split up um, the funding by license plate image and kind of dedicate it. And, um, you know, that would be another way to do it. I think from our perspective, it's just, it's less efficient. It's, it's easier to spend a pool of money and know that you are getting benefits for pollinators. You're getting benefits for loons. You're getting benefits for chickadees. You're getting benefits for, for deer and 
um, you know, other critters. So that's, that's really the approach that we take. Moving on to another topic, um, one of the things that uh, was brought to my attention is uh, there's, there's a push to plant trees to mitigate climate, climate change. Um, how does that help, and what are the steps we're doing to make that happen? Yeah, this I think is a really exciting initiative, partly because it's so simple. And I think in Minnesota, you know, we have a strong uh, Arbor Day tradition. This is actually Arbor Month. It's spring. It's that time of year. I've, I've seen uh, new trees going in some of my neighbor's yards. So, you know, it's something with which Minnesotans, I think, are really familiar, planting trees. And um, what we know is that a mature tree can absorb uh, about 48 pounds of carbon per year. So the more trees we have on the landscape, uh, the more carbon we can store and the better we can offset our greenhouse gas emissions in Minnesota. And so um, the the proposal here is to uh, increase the number of trees that we plant to increase the amount of greenhouse uh, gas emissions that we can offset. And the reason this makes so much sense in Minnesota is because we already have a, a resource and investment in our state forest nursery. And so by, by investing some more, and the governor has proposed $2.6 million in general fund to expand the tree growing capacity at the state forest nursery and to provide incentives then to once those trees are grown to establish them on, on open land and, and to increase density in existing forests, um, you know, we, it's, it's better leveraging and kind of getting a, a economy of scale at our, at our um, facility that the state already has. And so it's a really common sense and economical way to, to um, help our, you know, get those carbon benefits, uh, achieve some climate mitigation, and, um, and of course, you know, trees bring many other benefits too. By open land, what, what do you mean exactly? Um, so it might be land uh, that at one time was forested, but it's, it's been converted to something else. Maybe it's been pastured for a while, and, and somebody might want to um, turn it back uh, to forest land. So that could be private land, actually. Yes, yes. The goal here is to plant um, an additional 12 million seedlings, both on public and private land, uh, by 2025. And so, you know, the idea is we'd use that, that public um state forest nursery to, to grow the seedlings and then um, you know we would be able to plant some on public land and then but then the second piece of, of having incentives would be really for private landowners to to establish trees on private lands as well I uh, try to avoid <laughs> politics as much as possible uh, it's almost impossible in this day and age but one thing that I have found over the years uh, the one place where there never seems to be any controversy about whether there's climate change or not is with people who are involved in the outdoors whether it be uh, private citizens or people who work in natural resources or people who um, you know are, are biologists or whatever that seems to be an accepted thing across the board and again th- this even falls in people that you typically might think by their political stances might not buy it if they're deeply involved and they are out there on a regular basis they see it and it seems to be not that controversial but it is interesting and i often um, say you know it's, it's one of the roles that I think the DNR plays in this conversation about climate and climate solutions because, you know, not only do we have the scientists who are collecting data and watching, you know, the trends and and helping translate that, but we really do connect with people who are using the outdoors and and you can see it. So, you know, if you're an ice angler, 
um, you know what the conditions have been on the ice, and, and generally our ice is going out earlier than it did, um, you know, decades ago. And, and so you can see that, um, gen- you know, if you're, a, if you're a deer hunter and you, um, you know, can kind of track the, the uh, temperatures and, and the changes that you see there, you know, you see it. If you're a logger uh, and in the woods, right, the, the winter conditions that allow you to take trees uh, in the winter when the ground is frozen – Sometimes we don't get those deep freezes anymore, and it, it becomes a challenge. So I really do think it's people who spend time outdoors. You see those changes, and you experience them uh, over time. So it's, it's, I think, less difficult to convince people that it's, it's real when you, when you see it, and you can, it, it affects the activities you're doing. Commissioner Sarah Stroman of the DNR is my guest today. We're covering a lot of topics, and we are not done yet. <laughs> We've got several more I, I wanted to bring up uh, to to you, Commissioner. One of those is uh, I just want your thoughts as somebody who's been involved in it for a while and as the commissioner for about two years, what are the biggest challenges you see facing natural resources management for, say, the next decade and maybe even a little beyond that? Yeah, well, there you know there are a number of challenges. I mean, we've talked a little bit about climate change and and what that means for how how we need to manage uh, our lands and waters a little bit differently. You know, we obviously have issues like aquatic invasive species and and chronic wasting disease in our deer that you know are are pretty um, big uh, issues and and have some urgency to them. Right, particularly, I think the chronic wasting disease where um, you know there's sort of a window of opportunity to do something about it. But, but I think for me, um, uh, one of the things that I've really uh, come to focus on, and I, I think, again, depending on what side of the coin you uh, choose, you know, a challenge and an opportunity is, um, is funding. How, how do we fund the future of our, our outdoors resources, our natural resources and our, our outdoor recreation opportunities? And, you know, we've had in Minnesota, as I mentioned before, such a tradition of, of investing in these from, from our philanthropic community, to our local governments, to our state governments, to our voters, to our, you know, outdoors um, enthusiasts. Uh, and But the reality is we're, we're not kind of making those foundational investments in, in that infrastructure the same way we were. You know, we're kind of, we're still using old infrastructure on our boat ramp. We're still using old infrastructure in our state parks. And, you know, we're only getting to replace it and modernize it um, at, at a pretty slow pace. And so, I think one of the challenges is, is building a, a sustainable, um, forward-looking funding model that really um, addresses the system of natural resources and outdoor opportunities that we want to have uh, down the road in Minnesota. Not that reflects, you know, the past, but really looks forward. And, and I think there's an incredible opportunity to do that right now because we are seeing every day how important these outdoor spaces and natural resources are to Minnesotans. I mean, what would this last year have been like for people if they didn't have those opportunities to get outside, to get on the water, to get out into the woods? And so, you know, I, I think there's an, there's an opportunity for us to really think about what is the future that we want and to, to really um, do some, some work on thinking about uh, a funding model and, and making some recommendations and, and working with the legislature to make sure that uh, we've, we've built a sustainable funding future for our outdoors. You're listening to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. My privilege and honor to have the Commissioner of the DNR, Sarah Stroman, on the show today. And Commissioner, what would you say the top priorities are for the DNR in the next few years? 
Yeah. Um, well, there, there are a few of them. Um, and as I mentioned, when I came in, you know, one of those top priorities was really around connecting people to the outdoors. And, and I think that's still up there. Again, we've, we've kind of seen that happen over the past years, but I still think it's really important to make sure that, that Minnesotans have those opportunities to connect to the outdoors in, in meaningful ways, um, as a way to contribute to, to human health and prosperity and quality of life and, and also in a way that builds stewardship for special places and, and shared natural resources. Um, another priority is, is to really enhance the ways that we engage the public. And so I think it's both um, engaging Minnesotans uh, to, to ensure that as the DNR, we consider all Minnesotans in providing services and creating uh, those durable natural resources decisions, as I said, including all those diverse perspectives to get to the best outcome um, that we can by, by better understanding the, the diverse interests and, and building trust and making sure people understand that, that they can play a role uh, in our work. Um, and I'll, I'll mention a couple others. Um, one is expanding diversity, equity, and inclusion and I think, uh, you know, this is really important as we think about um, the changing diversity of Minnesota's population, and we want to make sure that our programs and our resources and our decision-making um, processes serve that diverse population in Minnesota, again, so that we continue um, to have, uh, have people engaged in this work. And then I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit about climate change, but the other one is, is really thinking about how we address critical natural resource issues proactively. So how do we get um, to some of these issues on the front end, like, uh, as I mentioned, chronic wasting disease, you know, not waiting till it's, it's too far gone to do something about it, but really being proactive and trying to, to limit the spread of that disease, being aggressive on the front end. Um, so those those are a few of the priorities um, that, that we're, we've been focused on, uh, continuing work on it. And, and there are things that kind of you, you, you'll see threads of... <laughs> Uh, sprinkled in our, our, the work that we do across the department. You know, speaking of diversity, uh, one of the things that has I've seen grow tremendously uh, in the last probably decade for sure, um, you know, when I first started doing the show again uh, back in the Paleozoic era, um, you know, I talked to guys. That's all I talked to was guys. And within the last decade, I'm talking to more and more women, like the commissioner of the DNR, for example. Uh, I just talked to Dr. Karstensen uh, about CWD about a week or two ago. Um, there's a lot more guides and professional anglers that I'm talking to that are women. Uh, that is one area where I have seen tremendous growth growth in the outdoors in the last few years, and uh, I expect that to continue to grow. One of the other things that's really, I think, spurring that is... Um, competitive uh, shooting sports in high schools, competitive fishing in high schools, giving uh, girls an opportunity there, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, I've had both a, a long-time interest and, and you know, an academic background in this area. Um, but there have been times where, you know, you're one of the few women in the room and, um, and again, you know, the first woman to hold, uh, this position. So I think, um, when I, when I came into this position, I found that was something that was really meaningful, um, for other women and, and men as well to be able to see that, um, you know, this spot, this job was open, um, to women and, and that could happen. And I think that's part of why we start to see 
um, momentum build around women in the outdoors. I think representation matters. And when you see people who look like you doing those activities, it seems attainable. And, um, you know, I think the other, for me personally, anyway, uh, it's, it's something that we do as a family, right? We, we go outside and we, we hike and we fish. Um, we went out for take a mom fishing, <laughs> uh, on Mother's Day. And so, you know, it's, it's something that, that for us really bonds, uh, us as a family. And, and so I think for, I don't want to speak for all women on that, but I, I know for some that that's an important factor as well. As you um, made your way up, uh, what were you, you mentioned? You know, being one of the few women in the room. What were some other challenges facing you as you as you made your way through um, this field? Um, I think for me, um, you know, it, it it's being um, being different, looking different than other people in the room, um, and you know. Uh, particularly when I was younger, you know, especially when you're, you're younger and you're female, um, it can be difficult for people, I think, to, to take you seriously. I mean, I've, I've walked into rooms that are mostly men and, you know, you, you want to go over and introduce yourself and, and talk to somebody and, you know, it, it kind of takes an effort, right, to, <laughs> to get noticed um, when everybody else in the room knows each other. So, you know, I, I certainly have had uh, those experiences when, you know, that's what it feels like. Um, but I think there are more and more opportunities that are now orienting um, to places where, you know, it's, it's a mixed group or, or maybe it's all women, you know, and so um, you feel comfortable going in there. Uh, you know, we've been to, to some of the great um, outdoor group banquets where they're really family-oriented. And so it's a place, you know, where my husband, I, and my son all feel comfortable and we feel comfortable being there together. You know, we're not the only uh, family in the room. And so... I think that's um, an important thing, too, to make sure that, that environments are welcoming, you know, to everybody. And, and it's, it's something that I carry with me, um, too, when I, when I go to uh, events or go places and, you know, there's somebody who doesn't really know everybody else in the room, you know, making sure that I'm the person that will go over and, and give them a space to be included because uh, that's important for them to want to come back and, you know, participate again. One of the biggest challenges, I would think, from for being the commissioner of the DNR is just the sheer uh, breadth of of things that are on your plate and and uh, topics that you have to stay on top of. Um, what is an average day like for the commissioner of the DNR? Um, yeah, you know, as we've talked uh, about a whole variety of issues here, there there really is a, a tremendous breadth. But you know, that's that's why we have. Uh, a tremendous staff. Uh, you know, we have a lot of experts in each of those areas. And so uh, for me, just, you know, every day uh, getting to interact with those folks, uh, you mentioned Dr. Carstensen, you know, having a conversation with her on CWD. I mean, she's just so, so knowledgeable and so passionate about what she does. And, you know, I get to work with an agency full of those people every single day. And so, you know, I learn something every single day. Um, the, the issue, you know, uh, change, <laughs> um, not, not even by the day, but sometimes by the hour or, or the half hour. So um, it's, it's a very dynamic um, job. And then, you know, the other piece of it is, is really uh, the interaction with Minnesotans, right? So it's not only the interactions internally, but the interactions externally and, and getting to have conversations with uh, Minnesotans about the importance of the outdoors uh, in their lives and, 
um, well, I've been doing that more over the computer and over the phone in the past year. Um, look, very much looking forward to getting back out on the road and, and you know, meeting people in their communities. And, and that's part of the reason I'm so excited to go to IRTL County later this week is, is to, to see um, that interaction between our outdoors and, and communities and people. And, and, again, it's just a really vivid reminder of how important our natural resources and outdoor spaces are to our quality of life in Minnesota. Not trying to, you know, uh, put a proverbial landmine in here or anything, but obviously you have to deal with something those of us in the private sector sector don't have to, and that is a state legislature. That's another wrinkle. Yeah, it it is. Um, but you know that's uh, that's the way government is. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's divided up, and so uh, we, you know, as uh, the executive branch, we work very closely with the legislative branch, and. Um, you know, that, that process is ongoing. So we've been working, uh, very hard over the past few months, uh, with both the Senate and the House to, uh, have conversation about both, um, the policy needs and, and budget needs for the DNR. And, um, again, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to, to have a conversation about, uh, the incredible value that Minnesotans, uh, place on our natural resources. And, you know, I, I think it's something that, um, I'd be surprised if there was a legislator who, who didn't see that going on in their district. So, you know, um, again, for me, it, it, some days are a challenge, but it's also an incredible opportunity to have that conversation. Well, I, and I would say this, I mean, uh, it seems to me, at least in the state of Minnesota, um, the people I know on both sides of the aisle, there is great love of outdoors, fishing, hunting, all of those things. That uh, That is one of the few things that uh, the politicians or uh, people of both political parties seem to be unified about in Minnesota. There is a love of it, maybe some different perspectives on some things, but but it's it's not like you have to win anybody over to the importance of outdoors in Minnesota. No, exactly. I mean, there there is a passion. As I said, sometimes that passion is excitement. Sometimes it's it's frustration. But um, you know, we I think we get to know uh, most of the legislators in the state because they will always have some question on behalf of their constituents because our our natural resources are so tied to the to the quality of life here. So you know, I I always say you know if if you're hearing complaints, if you're hearing issues, again, that's because. <laughs> Our natural resources are at the center of things, and people care about it. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a good place to be um, because if if it was different, it would mean people didn't care, and and you know, we certainly wouldn't want that. Yeah, people do care. There's no question about it. And uh, I think one of the things that that has always impressed me, and I've told told people um, about this uh, when I've interviewed people in in fisheries and other areas. I am constantly impressed with and surprised by, and I don't know why I would be surprised by, but I'm just impressed with, surprised by the the sheer uh, understanding of what it takes to keep a fishery alive or uh, to keep uh, wildlife healthy. People understand it in the state, and they, they, by and large, buy into it. Usually when we're talking about the need to, you know, catch and release, that's like second nature to Minnesotans now. There just seems to be a great understanding of what needs to be done and, and a willingness to do it. Yeah, it, that's that's very true. I think we have a very um, strong strong ethic, and I, I think it's shown in people's willingness to to um, abide by you know catch and release. I think we're seeing very strong um, sales on the voluntary walleye stamp, um, which goes to, to conservation this year. Um, and, and of course we saw it, you know, as people voted, um, to, to raise taxes on themselves and contribute, uh, 
you know, part of that to, to clean water and the outdoor and uh, outdoor heritage. So, um, you know, very strong willingness to do that. I think one of the things um, that we're trying to build on with that, that willingness is um, sometimes people just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they don't mean to, to maybe cause some damage or some harm, but they just don't know. And so, uh, particularly with so many new users last year, we started a, a social media campaign with the hashtag be good natured. And it's, it's just a campaign around a lot of those reminders. So, um, you know, if you want to practice catch and release, how do you properly hold the fish? So you get a good release on it, you know, cause everybody of course wants to hold the fish and take the picture. So, um, things like not leaving trash, um, things, you know, not trampling, uh, staying on the trail. So you're not trampling native, uh, plants, those kinds of things. And, and so I think um, the spirit of that really is to, to build on what you were just saying about Minnesotans' desires to, to care for things and, and to be good stewards, but maybe sometimes uh, we just don't know what that means. Commissioner, you have been very, very generous with your time, and I really appreciate it. Uh, so uh, I'm going to let you go here. But uh, before we wrap it up, just any final things you want to say to uh, the people of Minnesota? Oh, well, first of all, I will say to you, this has been a great conversation. So thanks so much for having me. Um, I'd be happy to come back anytime and, and talk more about the outdoors. And, I, you know, I think the last thing um, that, that I would leave for Minnesotans is it has been so wonderful to see uh, so many Minnesotans outside over this, this past year. And, um, you know, I, I just I think it's wonderful that, that folks have been able to enjoy just these incredible high-quality outdoor experiences that we have in Minnesota. And so uh, keep it up. Um, we'll keep up, uh, hopefully, the, the investment in those uh, spaces. You know, you want to make sure that, that you let people know, uh, let decision-makers know the value uh, that we place on those by, by continuing to use them and enjoy them. Sarah Stroman is the commissioner of the DNR, uh, generously sharing a lot of information with us today. Uh, commissioner Stroman, thank you for the time today. Truly appreciate it, and enjoy your Minnesota summer. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Tomorrow we get back to fishing. The muskie opener is Saturday. Kevin Cochran will join us to talk about that. We'll have Dick Beardsley in to talk about everything else. And we always tell you to subscribe to the podcast because there's always bonus podcast content. Well, we got bonus podcast content. We got Mandy Urich. And we got Steve Sapaniak of Predator Guide Service. He'll be talking Malax musky fishing. You can subscribe at Podcast One on the Pod MN app or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. It's crazy to think that a few weeks ago we were talking about whether or not Tua Tagovailoa should consider retiring. After two concussions and worldwide debates on player safety and NFL culpability, Tua has done nothing but go back to work and currently has the Dolphins riding a three-game win streak and one loss behind the division-favorite Buffalo Bills. While everyone was yapping about the end of his career, Tua Tagovailoa said he'll decide when it's time. And clearly, he's not ready to hang up the cleats. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard from the Plugged In with Chris Howard podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including the MLB playoffs, the start of the NHL season, MMA, boxing, and golf. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.